I'm an alcoholic. It's not an AA meeting, but we'll I'm going to share from recovery. I've got about 22 years sobriety. And I want to restart, actually, a point from the book, which is in the forward to our book, where he talks about we are 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. Now, the word seemingly is important to me, because seemingly definition is that it pertain it, it it appears true or false to you. Yeah. In other words, your reality here is really based on how you see it. And something like this can appear to be a problem to me today if I'm not say in good condition. The next day let's say I'm in good condition, it's not a problem. And the next day I'm in bad a bad condition and it's a problem again. Now what is it? Is it a problem or not a problem? It's really what it's the meaning that I give it in my life. So you and I, on a perceptual, interpretive level, play a really big role in our lives. We're giving everything all the meaning it has. Which is, I don't know if you've ever heard of The Course in Miracles. Well, in The Course in Miracles, that's the second lesson of their program, which is, and it's all about changing your perceptions. And the perceptual way we see things is that you and I give everything all the meaning it has. So, most of us have been having, living or reacting to the meaning that a system of thought and interpretation called alcoholism has given our lives, yeah? which is a certain frame of how to look or how you see. But it's also, it's, it's inside a bigger frame called self-centeredness. We're just an extreme subdivision of self-centeredness called alcoholism. Yeah, we're extremely concerned with self. But most people who are identified as a long-lasting, independent, separate entity of body are concerned with themselves as a body. When they think about themselves, they picture themselves as a body. When they think about themselves in the past, it's as a body. When they're worrying about what's going to happen to them in the future, it's as a body. So the mind that most of us are in is rooted in the idea of being a body. We're identified as this, yeah? feeling of being a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. Now, for most of us, it didn't start out that way. When you're a young baby, you know, there's been tons of research now, the young baby doesn't see separation for about a year and a half. It doesn't know there's a mother outside of itself. It's just conscious, yes, and it's not seeing any difference. It's not in separation. It has to grow into separation, which to me is growing into this idea of being a self. So as soon as you take the idea of being a self, the other is born. As soon as I see myself as this, I see you as that. As soon as I start taking myself to be this, I take everyone else to be that, a body. So for me, like my golden years were between two and four in life. Everything went downhill after that. When I was young, I wasn't in an abusive situation. And... uh, when I was playing, I was just playing. There wasn't any narrator going, Paul, will you be playing next week? Because I had no idea of next week yet. I didn't have any concept of time that was solid. My, mo- my mother could have been super fat and ugly, and I loved her. It didn't matter, because I had no idea of beauty and ugliness. Yeah? These things that have become such a normal way of looking at things and having, having everything defined by and as were not in place yet. And what was seemingly in place, with them not being in place, was like wonder and awe, you know, some immediacy, some spontaneity. So when I got mad, I got 
got really mad, but it passed very quickly. There was no story written about it, and I didn't become a mad kid. It was just something that came and went, like everything else. What happened for me is the mental process. For me, the mental process is what produces the idea of being a self. Yes? The mental process makes up an idea that you're a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. And then the daily narrative that's going on in your head, which seems to have your voice, doesn't it? It doesn't sound like Mother Teresa's usually. It sounds like you. Unless you're going to beat yourself up, and then maybe Mother Teresa will appear. But it sounds like you. But even the, the idea of it being you is a stretch, because it's just the sound of the vocal cords in this body. It doesn't imply that it's your body. It's your voice. It's the voice that's produced by these vocal cords. But it's the identification as the body that makes them sound like yours. Yeah? So once that started to happen, and I grew into that, the irritability, restlessness, and discontent that they talk about in AA started to get dominant from about, like, you know, there was pictures of me and my family, like, when I was three and four, and I looked like a little cherub, and all my other family members looked like they were shining, and it was like a Hallmark card. It was very beautiful. Everyone seemed to be beaming. But then, after a few years of thinking, there would be pictures of my family, and it looked like I was looking at my mother suspiciously in the picture. I'd be starting to Like, who are these people? So the isolation started already. That isolation. And it's not just isolation. Once the isolation begins and you start being removed from others, you start relying on self. The head starts telling you what they're about, what you're about, what they're going to be about, what you're going to be about. And basically, AA describes it very well. And it actually says it's the how and why of the whole program, which is a pretty comprehensive view of a program. If someone says it's the how and why of it, you're going to get a comprehensive view of what the program is. And it says the how and why of this program is to quit playing God. It doesn't work. This, to me, if you look at reliance on self, all it is is the mind playing God and replacing God, if you want to call it that, with its own take. So, in other words, how do you have a day presented to you in your head? Doesn't your head tell you how the day's going to be? Yeah? When you wake up in the morning, you say, oh, it's going to suck. And that's, that's covering a whole day. Maybe it'll cover a month if you're depressed. Yeah? But the, the speculation is that you know, you think you're going to know what it's going to be like. But how does a day get served to you from moment to moment? Isn't it like one part at a time? Life doesn't give you a 24-hour-a-day notice. It gives you a moment-to-moment notice that we package in time and say, oh, today was Monday. But basically, Monday was a moment and a moment and a moment. And you don't get a moment of 4 o'clock at 9 o'clock in the morning. You get a 9 o'clock moment. And you've got to go through all the other moments to get to what you call a 4 o'clock moment. But the head doesn't wait for that, does it? It has a sense of, I know. I know it's going to suck today. I know exactly what's going to happen. Isn't that playing God? If something that you would call more like the godlike movement of life, which is a slow revelation of itself, yeah, moment to moment to moment, and you can't know what's going to happen until you arrive there, yeah, totally being replaced with a speculation of how it's going to be. You don't want to call that playing God? Need the day. Yeah. Here you go, one part at a time. I'd like to see the whole deck, no? 
That's not how it's dealt. One card at a time, turn it over, and then respond. No, I want to have an idea of what's going to happen to me. Okay, let me tell you what's going to happen to me. Then you start relying on this crazy weatherman, and it's forecasting storms all the time. You, all your wardrobes have rain gear in. You're just constantly, if you have a negative head like most alcoholics do, no matter how nice it is now, you can't enjoy it because you don't think it's going to be like that later, do you? Look at your head. If you're having a good time, how long does your head let it last before it says, you're a fraud, you don't deserve this. They're going to figure you out really fast. You better get out of here now. But the same head, if you're having a bad day, doesn't say it's going to last forever. Isn't that the implication when you feel bad? It's not like the moment you're feeling bad. It's a feeling of time in it, isn't it? You're going to feel like this for a long time. Isn't that the rush of when you hold, when you contract totally in a moment? It's not the moment that's contracting you. It's the belief it's going to last, is it? Isn't that playing God? So if you are in the program, and this is the how and why of it, I would think it needs some attention, you know, if you're in the program. The how and why of the whole third step and the whole program is to quit playing God. There was a psychiatrist, I was in Chicago doing a talk, and a guy came and saw me, and he knew a psychiatrist who wasn't in AA, who did his whole master thesis on AA and alcoholism, and his whole master thesis was distilled into one statement. AA is just a bunch of people trying to learn how to stop playing God. How to learn how to stop playing God. That's the whole program. So what's playing God? Isn't it reliance on self? Isn't that what we call it? What is reliance on self? Is it a place where you lean in your house? There's self. I'm going to lean on it for a while. And then someone comes over and says, what are you doing? I'm relying on self. I'm leaning on it. I'm relying on it. No. Isn't it an activity of relying on your mind as it's formulated now? Isn't, isn't it relying on thought more than anything else? You're not usually relying on your gut. You have very rarely, you have intuitive moments. So what, what, is, what is the day mostly based on is relying on thought. Yeah. And your head tells you what it's going to be like, what it's like now, and what, it's, and what they were like. And it's telling you constantly what you were like, and what you can expect, and what you cannot expect, isn't it? That, to me, is playing God. If that's not addressed, where else do you go in the program? If, it's, if reliance on self is the root of the dilemma, and like it says in the book, why are you in so much fear? I love that line. You ever see it in the book? It says, why are you, it says, why are you in so much fear? And thank God he doesn't let us answer it. It would have been an 8,000-page book. It says, a period, isn't it because self-reliance has failed us? Now, self-reliance, to me, is an unreliable system of thought and interpretation. And aren't you relying on thought more than anything else? I would say most every day, most people are relying on thought. If they're relying on thought and it's unreliable, what will happen to you as this if you're relying on something unreliable? You're going to contract, aren't you? You're going to get tight. You're going to get anxious. Your basic predominant state is going to be fearful because you have a real deep belief that what I'm relying on is not reliable. Yeah? And yet, I don't, don't have any other options, so I'm going to just wing it. 
I'm going to just rely on another day with the hope that it's going to work. And yet, you're clenched, usually. You ever hug someone new in AA? It's like hugging someone with like a metal pole in them. They are so freaking rigid and emotionally crippled, usually. Totally incapable of having a viable relationship with another human being. They were not like that when they were two, three, or four years old, unless they were in an abusive situation. They were probably running up to every stranger and being their best friend. What happened in those 20 years or 15 years? Something happened where we started to rely on something that's unreliable, and we became the effects of that. Yeah? Well, if you think I'm wrong, check it out yourself. But there is some kind of root problem that we're into, yeah? And which causes me to want relief. So like it says in the book, my drinking was just a symptom. I drank and used to get relief from what? I believe you're trying to get relief from reliance on self, the effects of it. This is my phone. So NAA, AA says that the root of the problem is obsession with this idea of being self. This is where I come to differ. I believe it's a little different. I believe we're identified as a self. Now, if you ever see those horror movies where the woman, there's a, there's a great starlet, and, a, and then a woman, a freaky woman, starts identifying with the starlet, gets obsessed with her at first, right? Then starts wearing the same clothes, goes to the hair, same hairstylist, starts sort of looking like it, gets plastic surgery, starts going out with the starlet's boyfriends, killing them off, you know, <laughs> getting rid of them. And it seems like pretty extreme. She's totally obsessed uh, you know, she wants to be that starlet, but she's not the starlet, right? She's obsessed with it. Just like I totally love Coke, but I never thought I was Coke, cocaine. I never crossed that line. So the obsession, no matter how extreme it went, it never crossed the line where I became identified as Coke. But I believe this obsession, this addiction to mine, has gone that far. I truly believe we've become identified as this idea of being a long-lasting, independent, separate entity as presented by the mental process. We become all mind, so to speak. Yeah? We're not really alive much anymore. We're living in interpretation. So something happens. Do you ever notice if you worked and you get home around 8 o'clock at night, your, your head would break the news to you, you had a bad day? You know? It's now like you left work at 5, you started at 8 in the morning, but 8 at night you get the news that you had a bad day. Now, I would think if you were somewhat conscious, you would be knew it was bad when it was bad. Yeah? Like, like at 8.30 in the morning, you'd be aware, hey, this sucks. But a lot of people, we're not. We wait for the head to tell us what's happened. Don't we? Oh, I had a really great time. You, may, you don't have no idea if you had a great time or not. Your mind just says, oh, you really had a great time tonight. Oh, thank you. I was a little worried. I didn't know if I had a good time or not. Even though you were there at every moment of the time. We're displaced, aren't we? We're sort of waiting. We're on a, like a time lag, and we're waiting for our head to tell us what the hell's happening. We're out to lunch. But at one point in our life, we weren't waiting for our head to tell us. We were much more immediate, much more spontaneous, much more available to what was happening, not waiting for an interpretation by our head. So let's say if your head, in your obsession with self, you have one of the archetypes of you don't feel like you're enough. Yeah? You're never gonna, you're, and so let's say feeling like you're enough means, because you're giving it all the meaning it has, means that you're bad. 
If you're not, if you're not enough here, you're bad. All right. Now, what does your mind give that meaning to being bad? Well, if I'm bad, I don't really deserve much. Okay. So now, the way you're looking at life is that you don't deserve much. Good luck on that day. Yes. Because every day is going to be interpreted to, to verify or make that point of view right, that you don't deserve much. So what contradicts that view will be forgotten, and what reinforces that view will be entertained. Just like most of us, if a miracle happened this today, we'd forget it in about an hour. But we're, we're entertaining resentments of 30 years ago, as if they're new. Check out the mind. We are... <coughs> the most impossible people to be convinced. Like it says in AA, you know, we need to be convinced that self is what has defeated us. But some of us are incapable, seemingly, of, <laughs> of being convinced. There has been so many demonstrations of this divine grace in my life for just on the one demonstration concerning alcoholism. Alcoholism was the tattoo of my life since I was young, till I was 36 years old. One day, it was a regular day at the office. I wasn't trying to escape my fate. I had pretty much given up that I was just going to try to get loaded as much as I could and then spend time in institutions and jails until I died. But something had a different plan for me and changed my whole life. In just five minutes appearing in my life, five minutes of a portal opening called that moment of clarity, a solution came in, and it's been lasting for 22 and a half years. What would happen if you would turn towards that instead of? turning away from it all day, having such a difficult time to be convinced of what we've been introduced to. Because the magic is unfreaking believable in AA. And yet some of us, I notice, in our community, especially for me, thank God I had the ability to be convinced. It took a long time. Two years in one program, three months in another. I got run over twice in one night at the same time, which is a difficult thing to do. <laughs> you get hit by a car, and the guy didn't know he hit me, so he backed up over me. <laughs> then he knew he hit me. These things happened, but none of them convinced me. None. Until that day at the office, just getting loaded, and then something stopped, and that was that. But some of us have such a denial, such a resistance to all the evidence. It's almost abusive now to disregard to the grace, yeah, that we can still demand another convincing, yeah, so, so, so if this lady who was obsessed with the starlet, you would say that's an extreme case, but could you imagine, identification is so much farther than an obsession, when you become identified as something, you don't know that you're identified as that. You're taking yourself to be that. Just like that lady, just before they throw her in the insane asylum, she'd be calling herself the starlet's name and believing she was the starlet. And she would immediately go to the prison, insane asylum. But we're still walking around out here. Right? We have reached a point where we became identified as something that we're not, which sufficiently blocks us off to, from the sunlight of the spirit, obviously. Because supposedly God is everywhere, but why aren't you bumping into it then? Why aren't you feeling it today? If God is everywhere, and omnipresent, omnipotent, and omniscient, why aren't we sensing it? Yeah. We must believe we're a special somewhere. That's called identification as self. When you're identified as self, this is what you are. The best you can do and I can do is hope 
to take this spiritual program and graft it onto us as a body, and hopefully this will become spiritual. Good luck. It doesn't work. You can be as vigilant as you want, that you'll always be fearful that it's not going to take, because in fact it won't take. This cannot become spiritual. It's physical. Yes? But if you are spirit, if you are spirit, yes, then how much, what would be the greatest way to maintain a spiritual condition is to know it, to know that you are one. To know that you are one, what you're attempting to practice, you'd be living. But if I take this to be me, the best I can hope for is for this to become spiritual. Because I'm already entertaining this as me, how could I entertain spirit as me? Spirit would always have to take a second place to this, because this is the primary identification. When you think about yourself in the future, do you think about yourself as a spirit? Or do you think about yourself as a body? When you go back in the past, how do you picture yourself? How does the mind picture you when you're worried about yourself, or reflecting about the past, or a situation? You picture it as a body, aren't you? That is the act of being identified as your primary condition, which is a body. If, you're, if that's your primary condition, the best you can do is try to become spiritual as that, which isn't going to bring you a radical shift. It's not going to last 24 hours every second, because at that point, this is still playing God, and then your closeness to God will be based on what you think you did or didn't do. Isn't it? What tells you you're doing well? After the sponsor and your friends in AA, what's the final authority that you usually rely on? Your head, yeah? When all's said and done, you look back and you go, I'm feeling really good today. And then you believe that because you went on a retreat, let's say. Then you leave the retreat, you go to work the next day, and now you feel disconnected from God, right? So if you felt connected to God based on what you did, you'll feel disconnected from God based on what you don't do. Yeah? Isn't that playing God? Let's say there's God who's all-powerful, but it's up to me to know it. I would say I'm more powerful than God. If God's all-powerful, but I can not know Him, I must be more powerful than God. That, to me, is what the mind's doing. It's playing God. The idea, the mental process is playing God with the idea of God, and it makes it infrequent and distant and based on what you do or don't do, knowing it. But it will never be known as you. You'll have an experience of it, or what you call an experience, but an experience always comes and goes. It's not lasting. You're lasting. Whatever you're identified as is the most lasting thing in your life. Your whole life, it's going to be you that's experiencing things. You will never be experiencing the same thing every day. But what experiences everything is the same thing? So all the experiences, I will not have the same experience every day. I do not go to the store every day 800 times. Same experience every day. But what has all the experiences is this. Whatever I'm identified as is going to be what I call the experiencer. Can you imagine if you could entertain that you're not this, and then immediately sense what you are, which is spirit, And then realize spirit is not an experience that this has, but is the constant state you're in. Got constantly your spirit. Constantly you're awake. 
not based on what you do or don't do. Yeah? Because if I if it was based on what I did, then I could not do it. And then my condition would be changed. That's not reliable, is it? Not as a God. If I want to rely on you know, I can rely on self to have it that unreliable. I want something that's reliable. Well I believe it's your own condition as you are right now. Because if you sit here, we're all sitting in this room. So here I am looking at you, yeah? There's me looking at you, and there's 20 yous in here, and there's one eye looking, right? I'm looking, 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 looking. So there's one eye looking at 20 yous. And now John becomes the eye, and now he's looking at 20 yous. So the last experience, I was an eye, but now I'm actually a you to him, right? So now he's the eye. And now all these different yous. And then the next Deb is now the I, and then everyone's cast as a you. But in every every experience of seeing, there's I. I, 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 I. All different yous, but I. So here I am. I is seeing, and I'm looking, and what I see is a body, and I call it you. Now, if you ask me who's seeing, I'd say I'm seeing. And if you ask me again, well, who's that I? I'd say me. Yeah? Me is what I call a you. My mind sees the I, which is seeing. When I was young, my uncle Fred died. He was an uh, uncle that used to give me money at relatives' parties, so I liked him, I guess. And at nine years old, he died, and my mother took me to the funeral. And as I walked by Uncle Fred's casket, my mother said, say goodbye to Uncle Fred, last goodbye. And I looked in the, into the casket, and I saw the body of Uncle Fred, but it's a very strong hit that that's not Uncle Fred. Yeah? Now, when he was alive, I thought that was Uncle Fred because I assumed I was Paul as this. Yeah? I thought I was this. So, what I, when I saw life moving through the body of Uncle Fred, I assumed it was the body that was living. But there was the body that was dead now. And if I would take an eye out of that body and it hadn't gotten hurt, and put it in a live body, that I would see. But it wasn't seeing out of Uncle Fred. Yeah. If I took the other eye out, I'd put it in another body, that I would see. But it wasn't seeing out of Uncle Fred. So it really wasn't the eye that was seeing. Yeah. And it wasn't the body that was seeing. There was something in him, consciousness or spirit, that's the seer. Yeah. That's what we're seeing. So when John's looking at me as a you, the eye that's looking isn't John as a body. To me, that's spirit looking. And when I'm looking, it's spirit looking. And when Deb's looking, it's spirit looking. So with all these different yous, and every time we experience the eye of spirit, consciously in contact, the head calls it me and puts it into the realm of being a body. But in every experience, the eye is the same. The same thing that's looking out of your head is looking out of my head. Right now. Yeah? I would say that's spirit. It's the animating principle that's that's enlivening you so it can express itself through this body. But it's not the body that's living, in a way. Because the body can be perfectly healthy if the spirit seems to vacate, it stops. That's why they can take the organs out of everybody when they seemingly dead, because the organs are working, they're not being worked. Something that was animating them isn't animating them anymore. I would say that's more of us than the body. So for me, 
the spiritual awakening was just that. I heard a message that Paul, instead of looking for another meditation techniques, why not ask who's the meditator? Let's see if it's you. Maybe all the needs and wants you think you have may not be the needs and wants that you really have if it's not you. So I started to entertain that maybe I wasn't that. And as soon as you can entertain your not-self, you know what the next reaction of your mind, I mean the large mind is? That you can be free of it. If you identify that self, the best you can do is get therapy for it. You can never entertain being free of it. You just try to socialize it maybe more so maybe you won't flip out at the next barbecue. <laughs> you hope that maybe the next relationship will last longer than a month. You won't get arrested that week. Your levels of success are quite meager. Yeah? But your mind, no matter how much you suffer from it, you can't entertain being free of it because you're identified as it. It's like a parasite, alcoholism. It's taken us over. And we're sitting in a room, let's say this was an AA meeting, and people would be sharing their feelings, thoughts, and reactions. Yeah, that's what we do, don't we? And I'd be sitting there, like most of us, in, when we first come in, with that sense of being terminally unique. I'd be thinking, no one's thought the things I thought. No one's felt what I felt. And of course, no one has done as such a heinous thing as I've done in life. And I'd be sitting there in my little porno chamber up there, and, no, no one can understand me here. I'm different than all these people. And then I start hearing them. And after a couple of months of hearing them, I have to come to two conclusions. Either how did these people get my thoughts and my feelings and my reactions to life, or they're not my thoughts, they're not my feelings, and they're my, not my reactions. They're what we call alcoholic thoughts and alcoholic feelings and alcoholic reactions. And in this room, I do not identify with who you are. I identify with what's taking you over. It's the same thing took me over, called alcoholism, like a parasite. This is a host, you're a different host, you're a different host, but the same parasite has taken us over and has dominated our life for maybe one year, maybe 20 years, maybe 30 years. Someone's go to, let's say, the first level of hell, others have gone to the seventh level of hell, but it's been a very hostile takeover, right? If, it's ever, if you've been taken over by it, it's not really that benevolent as a parasite. Yeah. It grabs onto you. So let's say you've run into a very hostile parasite, and your first reaction would be to throw it off. Yeah? As soon as you felt this presence, and you got some of its results, you would probably swear off it. You would say, banish a parasite, or go get it cut off, or whatever. There would be an immediate repulsion to any more living underneath its tyranny. But, see, this parasite has an incredible strategy, because it knows how hostile it is. It convinces the host that it's the host. Yeah? It presents an image of you as a body, as a long-lasting, independent, separate entity, you totally forget your spiritual nature, which is the solution to the parasite, like AA says, it's a spiritual solution. So the spiritual nature is the solution to the mental nature the parasite has provided for you to believe in. Yeah? So as soon as you become identified as the parasite, it's got the perfect hideout. 
No matter how bad it gets, you'll never entertain being free of it. You will never entertain being free of it if you're identified as it. It's impossible for your head to do so. Once it's identified as something, it cannot entertain being free of it. That's why people blow their brains out in recovery. They're not going to drink again, but the only freedom they can seem to get from themselves is to kill what they call me. Because they're identified with the problem. But if you could entertain, I'm not that, the mind is now free to entertain the next step, which is, I can be free of what I'm not. Yeah? I can be free from what I'm not. That's a radical solution to me. Not therapizing it anymore. Unless it's really messy, you may need to for a while. Because if it's just, if it's just starting fires in your world... You better have pails of water to put them out. But you can entertain that inevitably there is the opportunity for a fireless state. You can actually live free from the effects of that parasite. Like it says on page 84, the problem will not exist for you anymore. The problem does not exist for you anymore when its problem is not existing as you. When you entertain, you're not that, which also can be implied you've entertained your spirit. It's the same, same. When you entertain, you're not that, what's called self. That's the entertaining of being spirit. So then, at that point, the problem does not exist for you because it's not existing as you. When it's existing as you, it will always exist for you. That's what happens in recovery. You, maybe you give up alcohol and drugs, but now you're looking at pornography or shopping or doing, acting out sexually, or somehow it's leaking into your life still. The, men, the addictive mind, its movement hasn't been dimmed that much. It's just shifted. It's leaking out in different ways, yes? It's going to be that way to a point. But the problem will not exist for you when it doesn't exist as you. So I was practicing AA nine years, ten years, eleven years. I thought pretty diligently. I was meditating. I was, did all these things for step eleven. But nothing radically shifted until I entertained I was not that. When I started to entertain I was not that, the validity of what I was entertaining, just like Jesus says, you'll know the tree by the fruit. The fruit was obvious in my life. I started traveling lighter consistently over the terrain of my existence. Didn't mean I didn't get sick or I didn't get fired from a job, but I traveled lighter through all my little terrain that life has had in store for me. Yeah? Consistently over years. You're on to something. Maybe you found the first knot. Yeah? Maybe you finally got to the point where all the other knots that you call the problems of your life is, is connected to. If alcoholism is just a subdivision of the real problem, and the real addiction, which is to self, to the idea of being you, and the hope that you are going to be special as a you, and, and the demand for that mind's view to be right. That slavery is the true original addiction that produced, just like for me, my first solution to alcoholism was alcohol. I was suffering from alcoholism when I was 11 years old. I was irritable, restless, and discontent. I'd been so for about three or four years, and I was dying for some freaking relief. As soon as someone introduced me to beer, I got some relief from alcoholism. Of course, it was temporary, and it actually became the fuel of the alcoholism. 
So it gave me a little relief, but the bonding became complete until I was 36 years old. And I experienced, just like it says in the book, being convinced, which means to believe with certainty, that self, manifested in various ways, is what has defeated us. So, being convinced means to believe with certainty in your gut. This is like the the beginning of the third step to the fourth step. Being convinced that self, manifested in various ways. Manifested means appears, yes? Or manifests, right? So, self appears or manifests in various ways and has defeated us. So, Bill W. has already separated the two, which is beautiful. He's saying that self and us aren't the same thing. Self is what has defeated us. How it defeated me, in hindsight, is I was identified as it. That's how it's defeated me. Just like in this room, if we asked everyone, what defeated us? And everyone would say the same thing. Myself. They wouldn't say self. You'd say myself. Myself. My, it's like here. I write down the word money up here. And I write down the word, uh, what's important to people here? Red Sox? (laughs) Money. How about the Yankees? That would create more fun. Money, sex, and relationships. Yeah. Everyone look at those three words. So you feel it has a little weight. Yeah. If you don't have any money, it probably means more to you than when you do. So money, sex, relationships. Now, I'll change the weight of it easily. Put the word my in front of it. My money. Isn't that much different? My sex. Hugely different. My relationships. You could write novels about my relationships. Relationships? Oh, yeah. My relationships. Let me tell you about my relationships. Hours and hours of selfing. My relationship. So that's... The act of identifying is the is how the mind distributes meaning and binds you. Really. Just like a thought... It's very rarely seen as a thought, isn't it? It's seen as yours. Or about you, isn't it? Let's say if someone comes over your house and starts talking about thoughts that were about them for about 20 minutes. You're bored usually pretty fast. Yeah, Jesus, when can I do my laundry? <laughs> Is there a good show on or what? i got to go somewhere. You're sick, aren't you? When someone's selfing, I call it selfing. They're yapping, 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 yapping. And you'd have a great, like, immunity to them. You'd say, fuck, that's bullshit. <laughs> that's an incredibly insane idea, bro. Do not do that. You'd be like Solomon. Uh, yes, yeah, very wise. But the same thoughts going on in your head held this about you or yours. An insane thought can seem like very wise to you. What's the difference? It's the same thought. So it's not the thought that's driving me crazy, really. It's the my of it. I have immunity to your thoughts. I swear. I do. You could talk to your blue in the face how you're so afraid of what's not happening and it wouldn't have any effect on me because it's not happening for me. <laughs> but you are very, it's very serious and, and real to you, yeah? What's the difference? It's a thought. It's not the thought, it's the my. The my is the bonding agent. If you are bonded to an idea of being a self, which it says, please relieve me of the bondage of self. So the bondage of self is that you are bonded to the idea of being a self. It says, being convinced that self manifests in various ways is what has defeated us, we will now look at its, meaning selves, yeah, 
common manifestations in life. And I'll tell you, I bet you not one sponsor you've ever worked with pointed this out in this way. And that is, what I believe is you're doing an inventory. And the next paragraph starts with the word resentment. So it's now leading you into the resentment. So from that little statement's point of view, resentment is what? It's an expression of self into your life. If you read it the way it says, yeah? Be convinced that self manifested in various ways. One of them would be resentments and fear and stuff. The two, some of the grosser ones. But let's say in, manifested in two ways. Resentment and fear. Right? So self manifested in two ways. Resentment and fear is what has defeated us. We will now look at its common manifestations in our life. Let's look at resentment. So if you hold it that way, doesn't it seems to me like it's pointing to the fact that resentment is an expression of self into life through you. And then the same thing would be applied to fear. Then how is fear and resentment getting into your life? If self is expressing it and you think this is your life, how is it accessing your life to dump its expressions into It's got to be moving through you. Yeah? Alcoholism has to have you as an expression. So self, manifesting in these ways, is manifesting into my life through me. I mean, where else is it doing? We may think someone else is bringing it, but you know damn well from the A point of view, you do not look at someone as the cause of the resentment. You always bring it back to you, right? That's the only place relief is available. You cannot get relief by blaming others for your condition. I mean, that's the whole point of the four columns, is to bring it to the point of where you see your role in it. Yeah? So self, manifested in various ways, is what has defeated us. We're going to look at his manifestations. All right, resentment. Doesn't it sound like he's implying that resentment is an expression of self that's appearing in your life. Now, how does it have the ability to appear in your life with such prevalence also? <laughs> you must, it must have access into your life. So can you imagine if self entered your life and every part of your life it enters, when, you, when it comes to the door, you take it to be you. It would have carte blanche entry into your life. You're identified as it. So anytime, relationships, anytime. So you ever have a boyfriend, and then it's really going great until it becomes my boyfriend. Yes, then you're worried, sick, where is he? Making calls. Same thing. Girlfriend, I'm having a great time. My girlfriend, I'm up on stalking charges. <laughs> Things are going crazy. As soon as the mind identifies with something and claims it, it downloads its meaning into that situation. And then you're reacting to the meaning your own head gave it. The relationship is not bringing that meaning to you. You've injected it with the meaning. Self has, through you, into that topic that seems so important to you. And so that thing that's so important to you as a conveyor of love can be turned into a factory of hate with self taking over. Look at a lot of the relationships. You have... So here's self. This, it's a mental process. A mental system of thought and interpretation is chocked full of meaning. You don't... When something happens and you think it's happening to you, let's say your name is Mary, Mary represents tons of old ideas and tons of conditioning that as soon as you claim that event as happening to you, you inject that event with meaning. 
If the meaning is, this event is going to reflect that I don't deserve anything good, that's what you're going to see. It's a total interpretation. And you lose the sense of being alive. And therefore you're dying to get loaded. Jump off bridges. Do have relationship with your friend's best, you know, you know, wife or husband to get a thrill somehow. Feeling like, wow, this is exciting having an affair. Yeah, sure it is. Not to your husband or wife. This is what you're driven to because you're basically inherently dead. You're numbed out. This all your whole life is an interpretation. You go to Hawaii, you take tons of pictures because you know you weren't really there. You've got to prove it to everybody. See? I was in Hawaii. Because you have a strong doubt you weren't there because you were at work when you were in Hawaii in your head. And then when you're in, when you're in head, you're in Hawaii. Yeah. Look at your head. Where does most... You know what we call fear? It's just mental anxiety. Fear is a valid emotion. Fear, if someone rushed in here with a gun, most of us, if we were two levels above a coconut, would have the response of being fearful. Jesus, there would be a threat. But most of us are in mental anxiety. You're actually thinking about what's not happening. And what you're thinking about what's not happening, because you believe it, produces an effect now in your body. So if you believe, and let's say here I am sitting here, we're up, we're up, whatever it's telling me. Waving. Sitting here, everything's fine, you know. But my head <laughs> is thinking about next week. Yeah? And, uh, and one quality of what's not happening is anything can happen in it. What's not happening, anything can happen in it. So, next Friday, I could have cancer. I could be healthy as an ox right now. That's the condition I am actually in. But my head is worried that I'm going to be in a, I'm going to have cancer. So it starts speculating what that's going to mean, as you know. And it goes off, tells it you, so I'm going to be in a cardboard box and no one will help me and AA will kick, well, fuck AA, they didn't help me when I had cancer. You don't have cancer yet. But just, this whole mind is just speculating doom and gloom. Yeah? It's, so you're in what's not happening. There is no airport you can fly into in what's not happening. There's no hotel. There's no travel agency that will book you a flight to what's not happening. You only go there by mind. Only go there by thought. All your other physical senses stay right here and now. But your mind goes into what's not happening, thinks about it, and then produces an effect by the thinking where? Here. So here, there's nothing threatening us here, but you could be sitting here like this, scared shit. Yes? Right now, your mind racing, getting sweaty, shallow breath, really, really worried about what's not happening. Now, what's not happening, there is another thing that's going on called what's happening. It has one quality, what's not happening doesn't have. What's not happening, anything can happen. But what's happening has one quality that what's not happening doesn't have, and that is it's happening. You may not like it, your mind may not like it, you may not think it's great, but it is happening. Begrudgingly, there must be the admittance of it. You're seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching right now. Yeah? So that's what's happening. This is the immunity to what's not happening. Now, what would be the solution to what's not happening? Isn't it just a recognition it's not happening? If you recognized it wasn't happening, what more would you need to do? Would you need to get therapy about what's not happening? 
for what's going to happen, would you? I've got to get some therapy for what's not what may happen. No, I would think that if I recognized it wasn't happening, then all of its effects would stop because it's not happening. Yeah. All of its effects are being made up by your head. This is called playing God. It takes this now, yeah, and it entertains a future now or a past now in the now. That's all it does. Where does your thoughts go to? Are they really seriously giving a lot of value to right now? I would say that your thought system, my thought system, gives value to past and future. Mostly the future, let's say. But the future, no matter how much you think about the future, it can only happen now in your head. There is no future. When you arrive at the future, it's now. You never arrive at the future. Yeah? What you call the future, uh, here I, I'm getting there, I'm getting closer to the future, but no matter how fast or slow you get there, when you get there, it's now. Yeah? And each step along the way is now. So the future is a mental realm. And the past is a mental realm. But the head itself likes to dwell there because you appear as a body in all the thoughts you have about the past and the future. Yes? So you're appearing as self in the past and the future. In a sense now, if you never saw yourself in a mirror, you wouldn't know what the hell is looking out of this. You don't see your face ever, really. Are you? When you're living, unless you look at a reflection, you never catch a glimpse of your face. There's just the seeing, the living through it, yeah? I only get a, I see a reflection, and I call that, that you in the mirror me. And if you see your reflection, you call that you in the mirror me. That's the identification as self. But what's looking is I. Or I would say I, I, spirit, yeah? Spirit is what's looking out of my head. And it's the same thing that's looking out of your head. And it's locatable right now, and only now. It doesn't exist in the mental realm of time. Yeah? To me, that's the solution to the dilemma. As soon as I realized I wasn't self, then those things that are promised in the further parts of the book became experiences, just like most of us have all the experiences pertaining to the problem. When they... they uh, Ident- you know, they talk or describe the problem in AA book. Every one of us, as an alcoholic, usually identifies with that. But not all of us are identifying with all the solutions or all the effects of the solutions yet. We don't experience, I'm not, I've ceased fighting everyone in anything. We don't experience that being placed in a position of neutrality with no thought or effort on your part. With no thought or effort on your part. It's as, it's as if it's a miracle. Or that the problem will not exist for you anymore. Or on page 62-63, when it says, you'll sincerely take this position of reliance on something greater than self, and all these remarkable things will follow and they'll happen. And then when you get established on that entertaining idea, then a whole new dilemma, a whole new dimension of effects will occur. You will start enjoying peace of mind. Yeah? You'll feel a new power flow in. You'll realize that you can face life successfully You'll sense the presence of the higher power, which is an incredible effect. <laughs> and then you'll, you'll outgrow the fear of today, tomorrow, and the hereafter. Isn't that an incredible description of a wonderful 
byproduct of relying on something greater than self. Relying on self, that will never happen. Like it says in the third step, I'm going to turn my will, my life over to the care of a power greater than self of my own understanding. After years of being in AA, I don't want a God of my own understanding. I want a God of, of its own understanding. Something that's revelatory. Something that's immediate. Something that's total spont- spontaneous. It's, you don't have a wealth of wisdom. You just know what to do next. You're totally alert because you don't know. You're just on. All the time. Relentlessly on. There's no way self could ever fit itself around it. The brilliance of it. It just has to, it's just, it's seen through like a paper mache wall, a mental little realm that was made to play God in, while God was all around it, always available at all times, with no requirement necessary, because you're the conveyor of that God, just like self expresses to you, that power expresses to you. To me, we're just vehicles of expression. That's all I feel I am. So, for years, selfing had me, and I expressed a perfect life of a junkie. I was the perfect alcoholic and drug addict. And what happened? Something occurred. The the system shifted from reliance on self to something greater than self, and now, I wouldn't call myself a saint, but, you know, I'm a lot better than than I used to be. And the practice and the maintenance of it, there's no effort involved, because I believe I am a spiritual condition. What is there I need to do to maintain that? Just to realize I am one. That it maintains itself in the living of it. Yeah? <laughs> and then, <laughs> you know how one of the big dilemmas of AA is its solution is service. Yeah? Service is a big part of AA. It's unity, recovery, and service. Because we're so up the ass of self, we need some action to get us out of the idea of being self. So we do service where you help someone else. Hope, you know, usually it doesn't work when you try it if it's a family member. It's better, <laughs> better with strangers. There's too many meanings with helping the family. That's why it usually doesn't work. The mind gives tons of meaning to it. Because it's my family, my wife, my son. The mind fucks it all up. That's why strangers help much better than people in the family. That's my view. But So here we are. So I'm in that I up the ass of self-seeing. You know, suffering. Consequences. And then I do service, yeah. And I've done a lot of service in AA, so I've, I've looked at it, and to me, this is what happens. You get out of self, and then you feel available, yeah? And that sense of feeling available is like you feel lighter, usually, or bigger. Somehow, it's just a, your, the sense of well-being gets a little bright, yeah? And then you feel a presence, sometimes. It's some incredible events when you're at a detox or something, your whole attitude that was seemingly sour all day because the mind was just interpreting, yeah, yes, I'm having a terrible day, yes, I don't have what I want. <laughs> you listen to someone, these people, for ten minutes and it breaks and that gratitude washes over you. And then there's a sense of presence. Yeah? You feel that presence of what we call a higher power. What occurs usually, though, because the identification is so strong, the main movement of self is claiming. Yeah? That's what it does. So let's say a spiritual event happens in your life, like an epiphany. You ever had an epiphany any time when something... You know an epiphany? It's like a, a spiritual interruption to your little linear story of Paul or whatever. 
<laughs> you never make a reservation for them, do you? You never know they're coming, right? Have you? I never called ahead and say, oh, yes. I want to, I'll be in there from 9 to 11, I think, you know. Kenny G music, candles and stuff. No, it's unplanned because you're just selfing around and then suddenly life just says, fuck that. And then, whoa. And yet, when it seems to end, I bet you if you watched, you would notice that there's a line of thought that arises in the head and goes, I just had this incredible experience. That's selfing. Selfing has just claimed its own absence and made it into an experience. You can have the biggest event of you're not that and it will claim it and make it an experience that it had. It will take every evidence of spiritual nature and make it an spiritual experience it had as a self. What would happen if you saw that arise and you weren't identified with that voice and you could see it as I'm not that? Maybe that epiphany would get its message across that that's what you are, is that epiphany. And that's sort of what happened to me with service. Kept doing service, sensed the presence, availability, sensed that presence. But I'd always go seemingly back into self, yeah? So I had to do more service and then more experiences. But one time, I have a cold, so one time I hit that, hit the jackpot, so to speak, that sense of presence, but my mind had entertained the idea I was that, yeah? I was the presence. <laughs> and when I entertained I was the presence, I realized I'm always available. Why? Because I'm present. It's not wasn't and wounds, yeah? I'm present. That means I'm always available. And if I'm always available, that's being of service. Yeah. So what was thrown and cast into an experience realm of me as Paul, infrequently or frequently having the experience of relief from Paul, I got the sense that I am that relief from Paul. That actually the relief that I used to call the relief from Paul is actually what I am. Yeah. And that became a steady, constant relief from Paul. Not an experience anymore, but sort of a state. And the state is always available at all times. And there's no requirement necessary. The only thing what could stop it is if you believe the thoughts that come rise up and claim it. Or say that you can't be having that. You didn't do enough or whatever. If you don't believe the thought... The state is sometimes noticed very clearly. It's uninterrupted. It's uncaused. Yes? It's always so. And it really has nothing to do with what your head says. To me, that's the peace that passeth all understanding. That's... So then you have it by giving it away. See, if you and I believe we did something to achieve peace, we will believe we can do something to lose it. That's not what I that's not what I call peace. Peace is a constant state. You may not be in it, but peace is a constant state. It's always available at all times with no requirement necessary. You do not have to get your mind's permission to access that. You are in complete access of it. It's the mind's permission that causes it to seem not to be so. And that is the true reliance on self, believing your mental thoughts 
and taking them to be true. Aren't they false evidence usually appearing real? Like they say, fear. So the mind's presenting false evidence. And how could false evidence ever appear real? It can't, but it can appear real to you. Just like that word I started with, seemingly. Yeah? Everything will appear to be true or false to you. So false evidence to you, as a you, as a self, can appear real. So next week can appear real to you, as a self. And all the worries concerning it. But in a sense, all those worries are false evidence. But they're caused, they're appearing real to you, as a you. If you're not that you, you can see it as false evidence. So it's sort of like seeing the blueprint room and not buying the house. It's much more difficult to get out of the house after it's built, yes? And you've moved in. It's much clearer when you see it and you, I'm not that. I'm not that. I'm not that is the recognition of your true nature, the spiritual nature, in the seeing of what you're not. You see it because you can. it's not you. That's why you can see it. You can see what you're not. Yeah? You can see it. Look at it. Like a great master, a Zen master, or a Chan master from China said, whatever can be perceived cannot perceive. Yeah? Uncle Fred as a body was not perceiving a damn freaking thing. It was consciousness that was perceiving through the body of Uncle Fred. So whatever can be perceived cannot perceive. Your spirit is not name and form. It's formless. It can't be made into an object for you to know. Because you would be the subject then. And you are not the subject to the object called truth. All there is is the subject of truth, looking out of you as an object. That's my view of it, yeah. So I don't know. I come here, you're in my tribe, and I have a fondness for AA. And I'd love to see you travel later, to tell you the truth. I don't know, maybe you are. And that's wonderful if you are. But the possibility is available. But I don't believe as a self. As a self, you can travel lighter, but you always travel heavier again. And there may be travel lighter than heavier. Lighter and heavier. And while you're traveling lighter, there will always be the fear that you could possibly travel heavy. You can't enjoy the traveling lighter that much. Because you believe in time. <laughs> the solution isn't of time. It's time of Availability now. <laughs> it's a rush. It's a nice, it's a nice uh, state to entertain. It takes away a lot of the meaning of the day-to-day events, and then you get a sense of the context of being alive, which has a different flavor. You stop becoming a collector of experiences with the hopes that they make you something. You realize what seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching is the highest form of knowledge. That spirit. And you you are that spirit. It's incredibly cool. So, yeah, any questions? Stunned into silence. I like that. he was buried in he's now no more as a body I don't know what happened to him as the body he's gone yes but what he is I don't know I just know what he's not 
I don't think you can ever know what you are. See, for me, <coughs> to know something, I have to be other than it, right? The way we know things here is that you're the subject, and this is an object to you. That's called knowing it, yeah? You're cast into the subject, but if the I is the true subject, what's looking out of each and every one of our heads, with not a, with not a second, there's only one subject, spirit, then how could it ever be known? can't be known. You'd have to be a subject to know it as an object. It's like the eye. The eye can't see itself, yeah? If you use this as an example. I'm seeing everything, but the eye, I, it can't see itself. So like St. Francis says, is what's looking is what you're looking for. So here you go. You're looking for what's looking. Yeah? <laughs> you can never see it, but that's what's looking. Yeah? All that acting activity of looking for is what's looking. You know yourself as a verb, not as a noun, let's say. That's been my experience with it. You're a verb, in a sense. You're the seeing. Yeah? I mean seeing, meaning, awareness. And the, it's demonstrating here through hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, and smelling. You're the awareness. Yeah? And you know it by its verb. Yeah? You can't know it as a noun because it's not an object, but there is an activity called being. And in that being, it intimates what it is, which is awareness. Yeah? Why? Because it's conscious. I'm seeing you. Yeah? Something is seeing something, and it's not the eye, and it's not the body, obviously, which is part of the eye. What is that? What is it that's seeing? I can never know, because all I am is the seeing of it. Yeah? Seeing, 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 hearing, 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 feeling. That's how I know it. It intimates itself. It's hard to explain, but you're not ever going to know the truth. You are the truth. You can't know the truth as an object to you because you're a phony subject. You're given this the name of being a subject. Isn't this the case, the seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching? What does the head say? I'm seeing, I'm hearing, I'm feeling, I'm tasting, I'm touching. Doesn't it? So... Let's say my eyes open and I'm looking out the window and a bird flies by. I see the bird. Now my head goes, I didn't want to see that bird, but I saw the bird. Just like when you go, there's a recognition of a feeling. You go, I don't like that feeling. I don't want to feel that, but you felt it already. The feeling comes before the reaction to the feeling, yes? So there's a feeling and you go, I don't want to feel that, but you felt it already. That's conscious contact. So feelings and smells and tastes and hearing and seeing occur before the mental reaction to it, which is, I'm seeing. So here's seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, and here's the body. Yeah? The seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching always precedes the body. But the body, in its reaction, goes, I'm the one who's seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, and touching, doesn't it? Even with thoughts, don't you feel like you're the thinker of them? Then stop thinking. If someone was running, and you said stop running, they could stop running. They thought they were the doer of it. And then you go, hey, stop running. Oh, okay. Stop thinking, if you're the thinker. Can you? Maybe you're not the thinker of it. During meditation... During meditation, your attention, but for not for very long. 25 minutes. Well, still, 25 minutes. I know, but I mean, we're human, right? So we have to think. 
No, they're thinking. They're thinking. Having a human experience. Yes, but see, you're not the thinker of it. Do you believe you're the thinker of the thoughts? I think I have. My thoughts are my thoughts. You do? Yeah. Hmm. You can't hear what I'm thinking. Let's say you're thinking about walking your dog, yeah? Someone else is thinking about walking their dog. What's the difference? Your dog's name is Biff and there's a spider? The same thoughts. But I mean in this room... Yeah, but if you would look at a scan of think thoughts, you'd see they're pretty much all the same. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm not unique. I'm not claiming to be unique. But we're human, so we think. But does that mean you're the thinker? Well, we don't know. That's the, the big the question. Mind, I think. It's like, where do we go when we die? Who knows? But no, I think that that may be a harder question to answer, but you can actually look at the question, are you the thinker? Am I the thinker? Usually thinking implies, if you're the doer, it implies that you have well, to say Well, if I was to think about something that happened to me in the past, then I am the thinker because it happened to me. If I was to experience, remember my fifth birthday. Like when I know, you remember but see, Freddie, that, that was your thought. Yeah, but the thoughts were initiated by something else. Something initiated oh, the yeah, first well, thought. Oh, spirit, our soul. Oh, no, 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 no. Spirit has nothing to do with thoughts. It has nothing to do with thoughts. Thoughts are all mental. Spirit is not mental. Thoughts are all mental. So what are you saying? What I'm saying is the mental process, the brain, thinks. Right. And that doesn't mean you're the thinker. Because well, you're not the, the body. Thinker? That's a good question <laughs> to ask. But it's not spirit. I'm not giving any answer. I'm saying, ask that question. It would be very helpful. Who's the thinker? Yeah. I say I am. Who's that I? Then ask who's that I. Barbara, who was born and raised. All right. There you go. So that means Barbara, so that means you're a body. Yes, I am a body. Mm. All right. Well. How can you deny that I'm not a body? I am a body. Right now, in this lifetime, I am a body. When I die, I won't be a body. But right now, I'm a body. What were you before the body? I don't know. What are you going to be after the body? I don't know. But I'm sure that the energy that's inside of me is not going to die. But then how could it be the body then? Now, I am a body. I bleed. If I get caught, I bleed. I have, I, I have a body. But if you are the you body... Are the body. But, Everybody here I know. has a okay, body. But if you're the body, then you're going to end at the body. Right. Oh, so no, no. I have a spirit and a soul as well. But if you're the body, it doesn't matter if you have a spirit. When Why? you're the body, you're going to end. My body will end. Like but you just brain. said you're the body. I have a body. Oh, that's different. Yeah. So I you're have, a spirit that has a body. I'm a spirit who has a body. So the spirit is what's thinking. Well, who knows? It, it isn't the body. It could be a spirit. It could be a soul. It could be a body. It could be... The experiences that I've lived in my life, I mean, it could be a million <clears> things. Like you say, you can't contain it. It's just so big. You can't, like, you can't put what's going on in our lives into words sometimes because it's just so big. We're all connected. Our souls are all connected. But do you feel that when you're a body? I'm a body. Then how? I mean, I have but a But you body. feel that hugeness <laughs> when you're a body? Yeah, I can, yeah. I can go into that state of thinking. You can? Yeah. Does it last, that state, for you? Well, of course not, because I'm human, and I come back. To what? To being human. What does that mean, to be a body? To living on the earth, going to work, driving a car, having experiences, 
But does that, how does that imply that's you? Well, I'm not a spirit yet. I'm still, I'm here. I'm physically here on earth. I'm but a spirit, on isn't, earth. a spirit isn't made. It's always so. Right. And so it could be inside me, but I'm having a human experience right now. And it could last 100 years. It could last 50 years. It could last... But who, all right, but who's having this human experience? Me. And that spirit. My soul. My connection. Me. Me, Barbara. So, if you're a soul or spirit, do you ever hear of Jesus saying you can't serve two masters at the same time? Yeah. So, if you're a spirit, well, which are you, a body or a spirit? I'm both. You're both at the same I time. I have to eat, or my body will die. I have a body. I'm human. I have a body. Well, there's a no body. Denying that. There's a body, let's say. But are you the body? I'm in my body. How do you know that? Because I'm right here. I'm sitting here. <laughs> I'm solid. Are you solid? All right. So let's say, let's take yourself, let's say this is solid to a chair. Yeah, it is. All right. So we're looking. This is fun. I like this a lot. So here we are. Here's a chair. Let's say it's been here 50 years. Yeah. Now the chair is incredible. In the chair's point of view, it's definitely more important than us because a lot, of asses, a lot of asses have sat in this chair. <laughs> All right. So here's the chair. Okay. Let's look at it, and let's move the chair. Okay? Let's move the chair. <coughs> now, let's, where's the chair? Did I have to move space back into where it was? <coughs> let's move it all away so you don't see it anymore. Okay? So, now, did I have to move space to take up the space that the chair was taking up? No. And if you looked, the only place, where would the effects of the chairs being here show? Exactly. So the floor is appearing. Right. And let's say it rubbed up against this. Yeah. And this is appearing. But in the space, is there any effect of the chair ever being here? No. If you didn't have a memory of the chair, would you notice that it was ever here? No. Unless so in the word, in a sense, the chair has absolutely no effect on the space. On the space. What we call this. None. Yeah? But if I hit you with the chair, it would hurt. Yeah. All right, so... Because I have you, a body. Yes. Well, yes, exactly. We're going to follow that logic. Hold on to that. So here's the chair. It has no effect on the space, but it can show effects on appearance. Whack! Yeah? So on an appearance, it can have an effect. Before this and that. But on space, it doesn't have an effect. So let's say spirit is space. <coughs> and energy. what? Energy, okay. Spirit is energy or space. And what appears in it has no effect on it. What appears? Yes, let's say your body. You can go to the, let's say if this is your hometown, go to the place you did the most heinous thing you ever did, and there would be no effects in the space. Right. You would see, there would be no, oh, that's where, see it? It's still there. No. <laughs> It was as if it never happened. Right. Okay? Yeah. So it has no effect. Right. So, but the chair on you, as a body, has a huge effect. Right. Okay. So let's say the space is spirit, and yeah. the body is like a chair. Space is spirit, and the body is a chair. Yes. Yeah. So you and I, as a body, are appearances in the space. Yeah. You have no effect on the space at all. 
you only have effect on other appearances. Right. Exactly. Okay. So to the space, you have no effect. In other words, to the space, you really have absolutely no existence. You didn't take up any room. It was only it was all there is a space, and the the chair appeared in it. You and I, as this, are appearances in spirit. We are not spirit as this. <clears throat> the spirit does not have a body. The body is appearing in space or spirit. Yes, it's like an, it's like um, and just like we move the chair, it shows no evidence it ever was in the space. It's like the sky. Well, look at the look at the sky for a second. We could talk about okay, famous writers. No, no, no. Let's not do years. that. Let's not do that. Let's They're just, no longer here, but they've left something behind. Their spirit. But only in appearances. In the appearance, what they left behind had no effect on the space. None. You just talk about physical space. No, 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 no. This I'm using this as an example of something spirit that you as an appearance, have no effect on it. In other words, you inherently do not exist in space. You're an appearance in space. Just like a chair came and will go. You believe, you, be, you began when you were born. Right. You appeared. Right. And you're going to disappear. Right. That is not the space. That is not the space. No. The space is spirit. It did not appear as a body. The body is appearing in it. And it is not a body, it is space. It's never forgotten that it's space. It's your mind that believes it's a body. But the space is space. And you, and no matter what you think you did or didn't do, has no effect on it. That's what I'm talking about. This space is spirit. It is not form. It's not be being form. It can never become form and then, then become spirit again. It never leaves, it, leaves or loses its true nature. It's space. Just like the sky. <clears throat> you can have like 4th of July explosions, but they don't rip the sky open. Yeah? Totally rain clouds, but the sky never gets wet. You never hear an airplane call the terminal and go, hey, I just ran into a big chunk of sky up here. Sky is like what we are. Incredibly spacious, almost like nothingness, and everything is appearing in it. What you and I call our light as this is an appearance in space, or spirit. It is not the space. It is actually part and parcel of the space, but not as this. Yeah? You are going to end. The narration of your life is going to end when your body ends. It's not going anywhere. Just here on Earth. It's going to end. Yes. Everywhere. It's not going to end everywhere, because it never was anywhere. You didn't have a solid existence. You appeared. Don't you see? There was a point time here where you weren't. Then you appeared as a body. And you're going to disappear as a body. That voice box that's talking as you is going to end when the body ends. It's not leaving anywhere. Because I've seen it. I've been out cold. I've overdosed. I've been dead. And when I came back... That's drug induced. No, 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 no. I've been run over by cars... I've been dead a couple of times in my life, not always drug-induced. And I'm telling you, my experience is, you aren't anywhere other than here. Oh, I know that. I'm, wherever I go, I'm there. <laughs> as what? I'm in this container, as that guy Paul well, used to call it. I would say wherever you are, 
Well, I'm here. Well, we're just having a different experience. Yeah, That's all. I know. Yeah. I'm not... I'd like to get into it with you more, but... No, that's all right. I'm recognizing hopelessness now. We have flashbacks from that one. Do it. Yeah, see, that's the thing. See, it's, see, the idea is, let's say you're a body or not, but it's the act of claiming. For you to claim to be a body, it's an act of denial of what you are. I understand that I am a spirit. I'm a spirit. I'm a soul. And you're but saying you, I'm not. I'm well, saying, you're calling it an I. That's what you're yes. calling. What I'm saying is, I am an I. I understand that. If I'm, what I'm saying is, if you're a spirit, body. if you're a spirit and you're a body, you I'm can't be both at the, the same body. time. Why can't you? Because it's an impossibility. You can't serve two masters at That's the same time. Serving two masters means money and God. No. It means sex and God. That's it means what serving body two spirit. masters means. It means body and spirit. No, I have a body and I have a spirit. Who has a body? Me. Who's that? Me. Me. Who is everybody? Everybody has a body. separating yourself from a body, I 